We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon fans, what is going on? What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Just in case you're new here, I'm your host, Max Torres, talking with my guy, Spencer McLaughlin, the host of the Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 podcast. Got his hand in a little bit of everything, but um, I talked to Spencer after our last show, and uh, I just said, you know what? Like, We should just make this a weekly thing. We're still kind of trying to figure out the schedules, but you know, I go on his show, he comes on my show. Um, really like the chemistry and just love the common conversations that we have. Uh, so with all that being said, Spencer, thanks for being here, man. How are we doing on this fine Tuesday? It's my pleasure as always to be back with you, Max. And I'm, I'm totally with you. Just do it, doing shows like this. I, I know we get a lot of uh, positive feedback. I get the same, same sort of comments on, on my channel on YouTube, like, Oh man, love having Max, love you and Max. And you know, one thing that, that we, that we have to do, I don't know specifically when feels like maybe a big a big game sort of sort of thing but i've had a couple people say hey spencer you should do a show with max and ryan winner and oh, have, the, have the three of you three of you on at once i i think one day we got to give the people what they want what they want for that that might be a little you know might be a little bit uh too much of me but that's why you two would <laughs> be there perhaps but no it's great to be on with you as always yeah, man. Well, it's a, it's going to be a fun one that we have in store. Uh, obviously, it's UCLA week for Oregon. So kind of what we're going to dive into here is setting the stage for Oregon against UCLA. Um, as you guys know, I'm trying to ramp up the podcast and uh, do a couple more, you know, just do more frequent shows. And this one's a cool opportunity to do it early in the week, kind of tackle some broad storylines, take an early look at this matchup for Oregon and UCLA. So both teams coming off buys, which is an interesting deal. Uh, game day is going to be in town. We got number nine UCLA versus number 10 Oregon. Uh, so there's plenty that we can get into. Uh, but before, just off the top, uh, we wanted to hit on a question that we got in the comments. Uh, but before we do that, just if you guys are here in the live show, uh, throw a question in the live chat. Uh, we're at youtube.com slash Oregon football max tourist. That's where you can always find us in pretty much every show. Uh, but yeah, I know that Spencer, you were excited to tackle this question. So let's put it up here. Uh, Raymond says, Max Torres and Spencer McLaughlin, why is Oregon favored over UCLA? Um, how about you take this one and then I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off it and give some of my thoughts too. 
Yeah, I love the use of full names there. You don't see that very often. That's how you. Uh, that, that's that's how you stand out. I also love the Torres troops and Spencer soldiers comment over there by by Brooks. That's that's awesome, awesome stuff. So th- the short answer here is because this game is in Autzen Stadium. Oregon's won twenty three straight at home. They haven't lost since two thousand and eighteen. Now the quality opponents they've had come through have probably not always been in UCLA's class. And I think at the time BYU was playing like a team that was at that sort of level and Oregon dispensed of them. And since then BYU has not necessarily been bad, but they haven't been great. And look, I I'm skeptical about Oregon getting into the college football playoff this year. A lot of things would, would have to go right. And you have to win a lot of uh, a lot of really big games. Thankfully they're at home, but as the season goes on, if we get into that situation and we're looking at quality non-conference wins, the Georgia game of course stands out in a bad way. The BYU game is looking on a week-by-week basis like it's not going to hold up the way we hoped it would when when it took place at the time. It's still a good, solid win, especially since it was 41-7 through three quarters. But that's the sort of performance that I think has the betters putting this number right around Oregon minus six. And I, I am liking the Ducks in, in this game because they're at home. And so I think the, the reason they're favored against UCLA, right, rankings – for the AP poll and power rankings are two very different things. And I, I think they should be separate categories because an AP ranking is something you have earned in the eyes of the voters, either this season or the season prior. And I do believe in this sport. It's, it's unique and fun and, and good for the sport to be able to reward teams for what they have done, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to hold up over the course of the rest of the season. For example, right, when you look at uh, at betting numbers, great example is last weekend. Oklahoma hosted Kansas. Oklahoma had been a disaster. Kansas had been the best story in college football. And the line opened at Oklahoma minus 8. It closed at Oklahoma minus 10.5, and, and they won by 10 because Vegas is just absolutely undefeated. But the point stands that... You can be UCLA should be ranked ahead of Oregon, not just because they have no losses, but because they have more impressive wins. They have the most impressive win in Utah, but they're very close despite Oregon having a loss and UCLA having none. And Oregon is favored in this game because when you look at the opponents they've played and how those results have manifested, UCLA's resume is pretty impressive with that win against Utah. They also handled Washington very well. And Oregon's has, you know, got some solid wins. But they're really playing the tough part of their schedule in the second half of this season. But still, they've looked impressive against the teams that they should, and they're playing at home. That's the biggest factor here is that this is in Eugene at Autzen Stadium. That's why they're favored. Oh, yeah. I mean, Oregon, you could argue, and maybe it wouldn't even be that much of an argument, they have the best home field advantage in the conference. I mean, you could probably put Utah up there. In Utah's, Utah's got to sure. be up there, too. But, I mean, 23 in a row speaks for itself. Yeah, exactly. So I think it starts with that, but obviously it's much deeper than just where the game is being played. For me, Spencer, when I look at UCLA, up until those uh, wins over UW and Utah, I was like, these guys are undefeated, but they haven't played anybody. They haven't played good teams, and those te- a couple of those wins were scary close. But now, clearly, it looks like something has, you know, flip, a switch has flipped a little bit in Westwood, and they have two really quality wins over Washington and uh, Utah. Um, both of those wins, I believe, were the or not. Those are the first Pac-12 losses for both teams. But obviously, Utah had already lost at Florida. 
But for me, I think that Oregon has won its games more convincingly. And I think that they've also been very well tested so far in this season. They haven't had too many super easy games. You have Stanford, obviously that Stanford's a train wreck, um, but they were able to beat Notre Dame. So what does that say about Notre Dame? That Notre um, Dame is even worse. That's yeah. a bad football team. It's, straight it's up. not, it's not good over there, but I think another reason that I would say Oregon is favored here is partially due to the familiarity. I think we saw how last year's game played out and granted it's not the same team and that's not the point I'm trying to make, but I think Oregon for me, they have a good idea of how to attack this game plan, seeing that there are a lot of the similar faces from last year, especially DTR and uh, Zach Charbonnet. But now you got a plan for Jake Bobo, who's a really, really talented wide receiver coming over from Duke. He's really put on a show. Um, so I think that I have some confidence here for Oregon, especially because they look like a much better overall team than last year. Um, granted, I think that the, the defense obviously still has some room to grow and and the offense isn't perfect either, either. Um, but I think you have so much confidence in this offense now compared to this point last year that you have the confidence for them to be able to show up in a big time game. And even though the defense isn't amazing, they, they continue to prove that they can stop the run. Uh, that battle in the trenches is going to be really a huge one to watch. And I think with each week, we're seeing them kind of step up to the plate and make some big plays when uh, the team really needs it most. Yeah, and one thing that Oregon fans need to keep in mind when playing UCLA and looking at the schedules and the teams they've played, I too was off-put by that game against South Alabama where they needed a last-second field goal to win, and they were at home. Now, granted, they don't have a great home field advantage, and South Alabama is— What, you mean no one wants to go to UCLA games? Come on, that can't (laughs) be the case. Unfortunately for the Bruins, it is the case. They should just build a 40,000-seat stadium right on campus, but they're not going to do that because they don't care about football that, that much. But right now, plenty of fans care because they're quite good. And one thing to note, when people look at South Alabama and you know just hear it's a directional school down south that's not Louisiana State, right? That That's going to put in their minds a, a vision of, well, you know, they're, they're overrated. They're this, they're that South Alabama plays in the Sun Belt, or as we know, it is college football fans this year, the fun belt. They're also five and one right now. And don't be surprised if they're a double digit win team when the season comes to a close, should UCLA still win that game by, by more than a last second field goal? Yes. But don't look at that outcome and say, no, UCLA is not actually that good if they're capable of that, because Washington is pretty good. Washington is a five and two team. And if Michael Penix doesn't throw the ball off the back of his lineman's helmet on accident and have it pop up in the air for a pick six, there's a really good chance Washington is six and one and still in the top 25. Then how do you feel about UCLA after they are up 40 to 16 going into the fourth? The Utah game, though is indicative, I think, of what UCLA is capable of. And that's winning the Pac-12. They absolutely could. They're in a position to do so, but they have the team to do so. Some teams get to that sort of spot, and then they flame out as the year goes on. I think Oregon was like that a season ago. They peaked earlier in the year against Ohio State, and then it kind of went down, 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 got to Utah, and it just wasn't even close. And the team wasn't capable of accomplishing that, even though the record would have indicated they could. UCLA is a team that escaped against South Alabama, but now they're confident in rolling. And since they've gotten into conference play where they're three and O they have played really good football. And that game against Utah cannot be underestimated. 
because Utah, I still contend, is a really good football team. They can still win the Pac-12, not just with their record, but because, as I was talking about a moment ago, they're good enough to do so. They still have that team, and UCLA was up 17 late in that game. That cannot be overlooked. This is a good Bruins team. They do a lot of things well, and they have improved upon their weaknesses that held them back from being a 9 or 10 win team a season ago. They could have been last year because they had really good weapons. They had DTR, and I think their offensive line was a touch better last year, though it's still pretty good. They needed to fix defensive uh, a few things defensively, and they have with a new defensive coordinator. They've at least made improvements, and that's exactly what they needed. Yeah. So this this UCLA team, there. I watched that that Utah game, and it was that was a heck of a game. Cameron Rising really did everything he could to to get Utah back into that game. But UCLA looks like they're a super solid team, and they're picking up kind of where they left off a little bit last year, and then some. Really looking like they're picking up some some solid steam, and they've played some really quality opponents, like you were mentioning in Pac-12 play so far. Um, we want to talk about the Pac-12 picture in a little bit here because that's obviously something huge going into this game. But we got to talk about game day, man. College game day, heading back to Eugene for the first time since 2018. Was I at the, the game the last time college game day was there? Yes, I was. And I watched the fumbles and the heartbreak and just mm. all the air gets sucked bad out vibes. of Hudson. Very bad, bad vibes. Bad vibes. Um, also got Michael James's autograph, so that was a highlight from, from that game. That is a major upside um, for what was otherwise a horrific day. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough, man. But, you know, you, you got to keep going. Um, and this is just – it's awesome for Oregon to be on the big stage like this. Um, it's big for the West Coast, big for the Pac-12. Um, who even knows how many more times we're going to see this matchup with UCLA going out uh, to Big Ten country. So I think that's something that kind of factors into this game. Another chance for Oregon, perhaps one of their last chances to get a marquee win over uh, over UCLA. Um, but we got game day in town, so everyone's going to be there. Twelve thirty kickoff uh, on Fox, um, so it's going to be it's going to be a fun one, and uh, it's another opportunity for Oregon to step up to the plate, show that they can you know show up in these big time games. It comes at home, which is great. Uh, you're rested up off of the bye, which is also good. I know we were talking about that last week when I had you on. Um, and the nice thing I think for Oregon here. Don't want to go into too much of a tangent, Spencer, but UCLA is also coming off their bye. I feel like that's not something that happens super often in college football. So in the, in the same sense that Oregon is trying to harness that momentum from the Arizona game, UCLA is also tasked with the similar challenge, uh, trying to make sure they don't you know, get too uh, complacent with that win over Utah. So there's there's a lot going into this game, and I just can't wait. Yeah, there there are a lot of big picture storylines here, and the Pac-12 is complicated at the moment. Now, there will be less complicating factors after this game has a result that's not a tie, which we don't have ties in college football because unlike the NFL, we know that the point of playing is to win the game or lose the game. That's the entire point. I hate that the NFL introduced ties. It's just like... Leave that to the Europeans and their soccer, man. This is America. This is football. We play to win or we play to lose. There's none of this tying absolute nonsense. But you you mentioned UCLA and Oregon and how many more times we'll see this. They're not scheduled to play in the conference slate next year. You never know if they could meet potentially in 
the Pac-12 championship game. But I, I wonder if when UCLA goes to the Big Ten, if Oregon and UCLA will ever reach out, you know, if let's assume, and it's certainly not a given, Oregon stays in the Pac-12 or Pac-10, whatever becomes of it. I wonder if Oregon and UCLA would reach out to one another. And frankly, is this a G-rated? Is this a G-rated show, Max? Yeah, so I, need to, I try to keep okay. it clean. Yeah, so if college football scheduling didn't collectively have its heads up its rear ends, there we go. You could actually put together some really fun matchups down the line because I think, generally speaking, people remember Oregon out like think outside the West Coast. You want to get attention on 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 your program, or you want to get attention on just the West Coast in general. If you're George Klyovkov, the commissioner. You have to go to the brands and names that people know and people outside of the West Coast. I talked to all sorts of people at the Locked On Network about, you know, Oregon and what they say you know, and that sort of thing. Here's what they know. They know USC. They know Oregon because of flashy uniforms. And specifically, they know Chip Kelly. And so if they hear Oregon Chip Kelly, I think if UCLA continues to be a good team, it's a matchup down the line that's still going to have that appeal. Is it the same as his initial return in 2018? No. But what's most exciting about this one is this is Chip's best team. This UCLA team would trounce the 2018 Bruins team, and they would beat comfortably the 2020 Bruins team. This is a really good football team. And if UCLA continues to be strong even after DTR leaves, which will be the Bruins' biggest question going forward, in into their final year in the Pac-12 and then into the Big Ten. I think that appeal is still there. But college football scheduling is ridiculous, and they schedule these non-conference foes 15, 75 years in advance. I don't even know. It's so absurd. Like, why do I know what Oregon's non-conference opponent is for the next three or four years? Next year, it's going to be Texas Tech. Well, that could be a good game, but it could also be a game that doesn't do Oregon any favors. Because if you go beat Texas Tech... And they turn out to be a five and seven, six and 16, which they're capable of being like, what advantage do you have? Whereas if you left these options open, this is like my biggest gripe with college football, which I, I enjoy more than the NFL, though I watch the professional ranks quite a bit and I pull my hair out over fantasy football all the time. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm horrible. My teams, all my teams suck. I hate it. I can't Dude, I, it. I lost by five points this week in Saquon Barkley kneeled at the one yard line instead of going into the end zone for what would have been the match matchup winning touchdown, but it's okay. I'm over it now. And so I'm not, but that's the sort of thing that going forward, I think college football has got to be able to fix. Like you could set up all these sorts of matchups. Oregon USC is still a big game. Fox ESPN CBS. I mean, CBS doesn't have a contract on the West coast and whatnot, but I think CBS is part of the big 10 deal. I'd have to go back and look at that. That might be wrong, but so if you're looking at setting up non-conference matchups, former Pac-12 foes, Oregon with either LA school, Oregon USC. They'll eat it up, Land man. Yeah, they'll eat it up. But because we decide to pick our non-conference opponents eight to ten years in advance, we, we can't do that. But I think it's what makes so much of this, this matchup intriguing is not just that it could be the last time that they play for God only knows how long heck maybe ever, probably not. They'd likely meet if you gave it 50 years at some point, but just the, the fact that UCLA is now going to get their best shot to knock out Oregon with chip Kelly in the pac 12, that that's what's on the line here. And the winner is more than in the driver's seat to get to the pac 12 championship game. Like the winner 
controls their own fate and could even lose a game after this and still be in good shape. But if you lose this game, you then don't have a head-to-head and the tiebreakers, which I talked about on Lockdown Pac-12, are wildly confusing and it is an absolute mess. And let's just say, let's leave it at that. So it puts the team in a really, really advantageous situation given the schedules they've got going forward. All right. Well, yeah, good, good uh, ending point there. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And then on the other side, Spencer and I are going to dig into the Pac-12 picture as well as some of the recruits heading to Eugene and some possible impact a win could have for the Ducks on the recruiting trail. Don't go anywhere. We got more Oregon football talk for you after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, talking with Locked on Ducks host, Spencer McLaughlin ahead of Oregon's big matchup against the UCLA Bruins on Saturday. The last two undefeated conference teams in the Pac-12. So what we're going to get into now is what we alluded to a little bit before the break. We're going to assess the Pac-12 picture, uh, which is kind of a mess just because of the new structure of the... It's a major mess. It's a major mess. Maybe I put it too lightly, but it's a mess because, you know, we have the new format uh, where conferences don't matter as much or divisions rather don't matter as much. And I mean, the top of the Pac-12, like I never, not never, but I did not think that we would be in the situation we are now where the Pac-12 is kind of a top heavy team where like, you know, top four teams are are real solid and the bottom of the conference is just atrocious. I'm talking to you, Colorado and Stanford and Cal, shout out to Colorado getting their first win. Yes. uh, Shout out to the bus. But we got to talk to the bus. I'm getting some, some heinous comments here. So I'm going to try to block the user. (laughs) um sorry about those um Uh there's not even that many people here it's like i mean there's like 20 20 or so people here but usually it's if it's bigger but yeah so let's let's recircle if if oregon can win this game obviously that would be huge for them to pick up a win over what looks like the top team in the conference right now 
And um, it would just bode well, I think, you know, for the rest of the season. But you still have some real tough games with Washington and Utah both coming to town. So even if you get past this game, you're still no, not really a shoe in But, man, it would be huge for them. Yeah, so something I've talked about on, on my channel that's really interesting is Oregon's schedule. And their schedule, for the most part, is pretty favorable because they have all their toughest games remaining at home. But when you look at it in the context of winning the Pac-12 and the schedules that the other teams have, most of them, basically all of them, have already played most of their toughest games. Oregon still has to play them. So, for example, USC has two games feasibly where they could lose, and one of them they're not going to in Notre Dame. I say feasibly they could lose that game because big brands, big game, you, you never know, right? But Notre Dame is pretty darn bad. So really UCLA or USC after this week, after last week rather against Utah, which they've gotten out of the way, has one losable game left. Now they don't have as much margin for error, but that game is UCLA. Bruins, same situation. They're going to be big favorites in every game they play except that game against USC. Look at Utah. They could very easily win out if they're able to beat Oregon. Because they don't have anybody that's really tough remaining on their schedule. They've got Colorado. They've got Arizona. Their toughest game after a bye this week is Washington State. And the Cougars' offense is not where it needs to be to keep up with the Utes. Even if their defense keeps Cam rising and company in check, they're not going to be able, I don't think, to just score enough points. They're not moving the football. They can't run it. And they're too reliant on Cam Ward. So... If Utah gets by Washington State, they've just got Oregon. But Oregon's got UCLA. They're the only team that's got four games I could see them losing, and it wouldn't be a major upset per se. Everybody else has no more than two, and some only have one. UCLA would not be a major upset, right? Because okay. it's it's less than a touch. Anything that's under a touchdown or, frankly, under 10 points is not like a major major upset depending on where the game is being played utah certainly would not be a major upset washington i expect oregon to be able to win that game because i think the huskies are a year or two away from being really really good but would i be shocked if they push the ducks and then they make a mistake late and lose i could see it happening it's not the least conceivable thing in the world right a major upset for oregon would be cal and colorado right either yeah. of those games being lost i mean those are bad football teams i'm happy for the buffs i really am that they didn't have to watch their team go 0-12, but they might be going 1-11, which is what I had them at before the season, and Cal is not very good. Cal still cannot score. Their defense is just okay. And then Oregon State, I don't know if you've watched them play at Research Stadium, Max, but they're a tough team to beat down there in Corvallis, and it's not a long road trip for the Ducks, but there's going to be a lot of Beaver fans there in a, on a percentage basis, and they'll be as loud as they possibly can because even though they've got minimum capacity – they are very, very loud, and they play exceptionally well at home. Like, you can't – every team is better at home than they are on the road, but look at Oregon State. They should have lost to Stanford. They didn't. They came back and made a play late in the game, but they should have lost to Stanford on the road, and they controlled the game for the most part against Washington State at home. Those are two radically different performances, and the Beavs have a nasty secondary – their defense is much better overall than you'd think. And if Chance Nolan can get back healthy, they've got some nice offensive pieces and they know how to run the football. So 
I, I think that those are gain like when you look at the body of work remaining for the ducks, it's easily, I mean, easily the toughest of what you have for the uh, compared to the other Pac-12 contenders, which is what makes each of these games so much more critically important for the Ducks. All right. All right. I see your point. You know, we're talking about kind of remaining schedule, obviously, for Oregon and then some of those other top schools in the, the Pac-12 from, you know, a standing standpoint. Um, that's they've kind got, of they, they've out. just got a lot of Arizonas and Stanford's and Colorado's and Cal's teams that, you know, Oregon will play Colorado and Cal, but they've already played Arizona and Stanford, which were comfortable wins. They've gotten those out of the way, but have more tough games remaining. Whereas UCLA has already played Washington. UCLA does not play Oregon State or USC has already played Oregon State, right? Just those games. USC has already played Washington State, who's a solid team that that could probably beat anybody in the conference if they're playing their their best. So I, I just think that that is an interesting caveat that at the same time, it's advantageous, but also compared to the other teams. I think Oregon's in the toughest spot. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I see what you mean. I think it is fortunate for Oregon that a lot of their toughest games are at home. Um, yes. Obviously, that's going to be a big advantage. And then uh, I think I have some confidence against Oregon State because even though they've been playing good football, this mm-hmm. Oregon team looks like they can take care of business on the road at least a little bit more effectively than previous Oregon teams. Um, but I do want to get to some recruiting stuff, but wanted to give you a chance if you had any more that you wanted to add on the Pac-12 picture because it's looking like if Oregon can take care of its business, they could, you know, they, they could and they probably should, you know, be able to, to get to that Pac-12 championship game, in my opinion. Um, but maybe the college football playoff is another discussion that we need to have for a future date. Yeah, I, I think a Pac-12 championship game, at least appearance coming into this year, was my expectation. And it's well within reach, sure. right? You escaped against Washington State, so the, the conference record is unblemished a third of the way through. I don't expect them to go 9-0. and Nobody's done that before, and I don't think there's a team in the Pac-12 that, that can do that this year, including Oregon. But I think they're in a really good position. And after a horrible start to the year, they've set themselves up to still accomplish a lot and have a very successful season. Absolutely. All right. So um, wanted to talk a little bit of recruiting. You, you doing all right on time? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. All right. Sweet. So Oregon is going to be hosting a pretty significant slew of recruits, uh, kind of like using that word, um, on campus in Eugene for some visits this weekend. Dan Lanning was talking about this during the bye week, how there's a lot of talented recruits uh, coming into camp, coming to campus. Um, I do have a story over on DucksDigest.com just compiling some of the early names, but it's only Tuesday, so we're going to be getting more and more. Uh, but some of the biggest ones right now that are uh, at least scheduled to be in attendance, looking in the 23 class, you have defensive line commit to Vita Pomee from Utah, um, safety commit Cody DeCambra out of Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. And then right now, the bulk of the other recruits that are heading to Eugene are coming from modern day which is just, you know, the number one team in the country. Uh, I've seen them play three times this year, and they are insane. Um, Just so much talent from top to bottom. And what's really interesting with them is that they're not a senior-heavy class, Spencer. It's a lot of 2024s, a lot of 2025s. And and most of these guys that are coming have Oregon offers. Brandon Baker, uh, the the younger brother of Gary Baker, the former Oregon defensive lineman, he's going to be here, uh, and he's going to be in Eugene. Uh, DeAndre Carter, uh, another offensive lineman from modern day. You have wide receiver Jack Ressler from modern day, running back Nate Frazier, who recently picked up an offer. 
Uh, I talked to him after the St. John Bosco game and he is loving Oregon. Um, and I know that the Oregon staff is super, super high on him. And then you have the other piece in the backfield for uh, modern day 2025 five-star running back Jordan Davison, who is just a, looks like a man amongst boys out there. He's only a true sophomore and he looks like just, he's huge. He's like, 5'10", 5'11", and like 2'15". He's just massive. People bounce off of him. Um, and then you have also have 2025 athlete LeMason Waller, who just backed off his commitment from Washington. Uh, so we're still looking at trying to compile some more names. I'm going to update that list as we get more into it. But this is a huge – this is like the game that recruits want to be at. They want to see what the game day environment is like in Eugene, and they want to see what the – game day environment is like when you have the sports signature show on campus students are back obviously school has been in session for a while you know the atmosphere is going to be insane so if Oregon can show up and just put on a show I mean if Oregon can blow out UCLA I'm not saying that's likely but if they can get a win here like that would just be huge because I think when we're talking recruiting I don't really feel like we really saw that recruiting domino effect from the Dante Moore commitment. I feel like it was, you know, weeks ago by, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of waiting on this. When, when are we going to see some more stuff? That's not to say that the Oregon staff isn't recruiting the heck out of, uh, you know, the country, but I feel like maybe a win like this could kind of catapult that a little bit more. What are your thoughts? I think the recruiting for Oregon football to this point, and probably because the staff took over mid cycle, it went in reverse order. Normally you get a quarterback like a Dante Moore, if if you're a school that can go after that caliber of prospect, and you then pitch other recruits, right? And say, this is a guy you can be playing with. This is a guy that, you know, is going to be the next leader of of, of our football program, as as Dan Lanning is probably telling a uh, future program, uh, program yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, big time program podcast, mine as well. So I, I think what what you're seeing is the potential of the staff is really, really high. Because they're able to get an Ashton Cozart, a Jurion Dickey, a Dante Dowdell, a Josh Connerly, right? All of these guys, they were able to get before Dante Moore. And I don't remember the exact the exact date of, of everything, but a lot of them, I mean, Jurion Dickey's been committed to Oregon for a while now, right? And we didn't see a flood, mostly because the guys that Oregon has have, have been targeting that are committed for the most part already were like Dante Moore is one of the later commits in the cycle, especially for a quarterback. He was on the board for a while, not recruitment. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Max, it went well into the summer and there was a lot of recruiting. There were a lot of commitments that were picked up in, in the springtime. And that's pretty natural because school's still in session. So you can have guys on campus for, for visits and whatnot. And getting Dante Moore is, is certainly huge, but I mean, I, I'm really excited looking in, and thinking about it in that context of what this staff can do in a full recruiting cycle, because I didn't think it would be this high for for 2023. Even at this point, they're sitting 12th nationally. That <laughs> That's all you need for Oregon to accomplish its goals. You recruit a top 15 level year in and year out. If you have the right coaching, you'll have sufficient talent to get to the college football playoff and win conference championships. So I think it's just a testament to to what this staff can do out on the recruiting trail, making pitches to high school kids and and getting them to come to the Ducks without having to always have a, a big time quarterback there. 
to to kind of be the the anchor recruit who who helps those guys decide to come to Oregon. I think it's a it's a reflection of where Oregon's brand is at nationally and also what this staff can do on the recruiting front. Yeah, and, and this cycle is so crucial for, for Oregon, Spencer, because it is the first full cycle for Dan Lane and his newly assembled coaching staff. Uh, and, you know, got to give them some props for how they were able to close the, uh, you know, close the 2022 cycle when it just felt like guys were leaving left and right, left and right. I couldn't write decommitment stories fast enough when Mario Cristobal left. But now it's a, it's a different story uh, with the talent that they're bringing in. And they're still pursuing a lot of really high-end guys in 2023. But one note that I just wanted to get uh, on the show here before we get out of here, some significant uh, recruiting news just uh, today. Uh, Long Beach Poly 2024 linebacker uh, Dylan Williams announced that he would be decommitting from USC. Uh, I'm actually supposed to go to Long Beach Poly in just a couple hours here, uh, try to get an interview with Dylan. Um, Great kid. Talked to him a couple times. But uh, it's interesting because he just got an offer from Oregon a week ago today. And then now you have this uh, this news dropping. So, um, you know, Oregon's also recruiting Dalen Austin, the 2023 LSU cornerback that is uh, at Long Beach Poly right now. Dalen was in town for a visit for the Stanford game, actually. And then he's working on setting up his official visit to Oregon. So I just wanted to hop on the show and make sure I got this update in there uh, just so you guys can see. Uh, you know, the latest news of kind of what we're tracking here. Oregon hasn't really done a whole lot in 2024 from a commitment standpoint, still looking for that first one, but they were really attacking the 2024 uh, class uh, during the bye week and even beyond with some 25 offers. So Dylan Williams is a dude, one of the best in Southern California for 2024. And uh, I know that Oregon really likes him. So definitely, definitely someone that people need to keep an eye on if you like Oregon recruiting. Yeah, I, I am uh, always perplexed at how a staff can balance recruiting while in season. And it's why you have Marshall Malkow, I believe it is. My, Malko, I'm yeah. Sure. yeah, Malko, yeah. And he's the, the director of player personnel and recruiting for, for the Ducks and why you have recruiting specialists and why you have a budget because it's just a lot to manage. And you have to also... I don't know if you want your text messages up there for everyone. Didn't put that up there. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, I, I think it's amazing how these staffs can, you know, understand what they have in 2023, but also look at 2024. And it's fascinating to see where the priorities come in. You know, I'm not surprised. In fact, I'm encouraged that this staff sees what what I am seeing, which is in 2023, you need to be loading up on the defensive line because you're going to lose guys after this year. It's already you know, I'm not going to say a, a full on weakness because Dorless and DJ Johnson have been really good, but it feels kind of thin, right? Like if, if Dorless or DJ Johnson goes down, I don't feel confident in Oregon's pass rush anymore. I need both of them out there on the field. Casey Rogers, Jordan Riley do some nice things for sure. But even they they are out of eligibility after this year. Rogers might have one more. I'd, I'd, I'd have to look that up. Riley, right Riley, Riley, I know is done after this year. So you're, you're losing three of your heavy rotation guys after this season. And also philosophically, if you're a defensive coach in Dan Lanning, how do you dominate defensively? You got to be great up front. You have to be great up front. Being able to get pressure with four opens up a lot of avenues for your defense. And so I'm not surprised to see guys like Amari Washington and, and Terrence Green and Tavita Pome and, you know, just go down the list of, you know, Blake Purchase on, on the edge, Tatum Tuioti. 
uh, as well, who I, I think has been getting a little bit of buzz. He's just a three-star prospect right now, but kind of seems like in the coming months he could up that status. We'll have to just wait and see and such, but I've heard good things about him. But I'm not surprised, Jaden Moore, another edge player, that they're focusing on that area because they're saying, yeah, we need to be better here, and this is also a key part of what we do uh, as as a football team and what we want to do defensively. So I look at a guy like Williams and say, it's all it's always nice to to get talent. I'm not as worried about linebackers for the coming years because I am very high on Devin Jackson. I've heard a lot of great things about him, and he's not playing a ton really at all at this point in time, but I don't think anyone expected him to because he got Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. But let's say those two guys leave. Well, I've watched Keith Brown play, and he's pretty good. He's not very fast, but he's pretty good. And Jackson's a speedster, so they can kind of be a yin and yang if they work in there. Jeffrey Bossa will be back for another season. You've got Harrison Taggart in the mix waiting in the wings. Like, there are a lot of bodies at that position I, I feel really good about. But, you know, it's it's honestly hard for me to think about 2024 recruiting when we're in the midst of the 2022 football season. You know, it's like – I. Yeah, I want to get more talented guys than than fewer talented guys. But at the same time, there's still long a long way to go there. But it is always noteworthy to point out like, hey, this guy's not going there. And he's someone who Oregon has has been after and, and would certainly like to get. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that's if you don't if it's hard to look ahead to the 2024 class, you know, that's why I'm here because I I eat it up, man. I love the recruiting stuff. So um that's you know i'm really trying to like actively do more recruiting um you know on my site and, and on the podcast so if, if that's something you guys like you definitely need to make sure you're you're tapped in um but i think that that's going to do it for us today uh I'm, I'm let's answer let's answer gerard's question real quick and then we can hop out okay all right we'll got we'll get gerard's question i feel like this is a whole different show but he said, Gerard asks, big picture question for the remaining six games, rank the games in order for most likely an Oregon loss to the least likely for Oregon to win. Did I read that right? I think it might have been a little bit of a. I uh, saying like, what's the most likely game we win and what's the least likely game that, that we yeah. win going okay. forward. So I'm with him that Colorado is the easiest win followed by Cal. I would say Oregon State is actually going to be an easier win than Washington, even though it's on the road. Now, sure, I, I could foresee the Ducks getting upset in either game. It wouldn't completely catch me off guard the way a Cal or Colorado loss would. But I think matchup wise, because Oregon has shown that if you can't stop them on the ground, Arizona and Stanford, they'll just keep running it at you, then it makes the matchup a little bit better for, for Oregon state. I think because the strength of that team is their secondary and though they've done a lot of really good things and they played well against USC. That's got the best receiving core in the pac 12 for sure. I think Oregon can really run the football there. And I just feel better about running against the bodies that Oregon state has in the front seven versus Washington. I would swap those two and I, I agree that Utah is, is the game that we're least likely to win. I, I have not sold my Ute stock on Locked On Pac-12. Even after the Florida loss, even after the UCLA loss, I still rode with them and said, no, I think they win that game against USC. It was a little closer than I thought, but I didn't think it would be a blowout. They got it done. I think that's going to do wonders for their locker room. And that is that is still a really, really good football team. And 
though I love what I've seen from Oregon. I, I still think at this point in time, we'll see how I feel going into the game, but I still think UCLA or Utah rather is going to come into Autzen Stadium and beat Oregon. I still think that's a good football team. They're not quite as good as a year ago, but the, the gap that existed between those two teams in 2021 was pretty stark. Now, part of that was certainly coaching, and I think Oregon's improved in that front. However, I, I am I am a Utes believer at, at this point in time. Sure. Yeah, I think that I, I would also swap Washington and Oregon State here. I think Washington's going to be a tougher game than Oregon State for me. Um, and then with UCLA and Utah, I think I'd keep this order. Although for I got, my whole stance on Utah was they're going to be the top dog in the Pac-12 until another Pac-12 team knocks them off and you know is able to beat them. And that's what UCLA did. Um, but there, there is, like I kind of talked about, some familiarity there with, with Oregon and UCLA uh, from a year ago, just from a continuity perspective. But for Utah, I think this not only is the game at home this year, but this staff can make adjustments. That's clearly something that the last staff did not do to the level they needed to. I don't want to just flat out say they couldn't make adjustments, but that's kind of what it looked like. I'm sure a lot of fans would, would say that's kind of what it looked like when you have two mirror images of each other just two weeks apart. Um, both of those being away from Eugene, um, that was part of the reason that, you know, a lot, some of these Oregon games were toss-ups or they were closer than they needed to be. Um, you know, look at Cal in 2020, like Oregon lost to Cal in 2020. And that game there's was no, re- there's no reason to ever lose to Cal. Exactly. And I, I think but- I'm going to try to be at that game, um, you know, get out and do some traveling, but, uh, we could talk about the Cal game later. So I, I feel like this this list is pretty spot on. And we kind of are in agreement of swapping yeah. Washington, Oregon State. And when, when one more thought on why I would swap the Beavs and the Huskies. I trust Washington's pass game way more. And their receivers scare me way more than Oregon State's. Penix and his receivers have been sharper from start to finish this year. Even with then, then Chance Nolan, when he's been there with, with his wide receivers, like they're much more balanced. Washington doesn't run the ball very well, but Oregon defends the run very well. So I think DeBoer will go into that game and say, hey, hey Michael Penix, we're going to probably just throw the ball 50 times and see if Oregon can, can make some adjustments. And I think that's more of a test than an Oregon State offense that, you know, we'll, we'll see if Chance Nolan is even healthy at that point in time. Certainly if Cole Branson's there, who's like, okay, he's a serviceable backup you know he's won a couple of games to to be sure but is he lighting the world on fire no whereas Penix could go for 300 against this Oregon defense I don't think either Nolan or Gold Branson really could because I don't think that's the way that, that Jonathan Smith primarily wants to play but it's how you have to attack that Oregon State or that Oregon defense all right well good question there from Gerard uh, before we get out of here, Spencer, uh, I think I'm hopping on your show tomorrow. Yes, indeed. Right? And then it'll be that'll... it'll be Friday. I'm still planning out the the shows because I had a guest who was coming on and he had to reschedule slash cancel. So still figuring all all that stuff out. But yes, Max will be on my show on either Thursday or Friday's episode of Locked On Ducks. All right. And then where where can people find uh, you know more of you and kind of what you got going on in the college football space? At Smalls underscore 55, my personal handle. I also manage at LO underscore Pac-12 and at Locked On Ducks. I host Locked On Pac-12 and Locked On Ducks Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, talking about the Ducks every day and the Conference of Champions writ large. A lot of fun for both. Feel free to send in any questions you'd like to Smalls underscore 55. If you want a question answered on the show and Max, my man, it is always a pleasure to come on and talk to the great people over here in the Ducks Dish space. 
I appreciate you coming on, taking the time out of your day to talk some ducks with me and the the lovely folks in the chat. Um, I want to do like some more like mailbag oriented stuff. I put out tweets asking for mailbag questions and I don't always get a lot. Um, but maybe we can do something like what Ryan does, like where we like put the StreamYard link in the in the chat and then we can kind of get some people literally just on the channel uh, at, you know, having some awesome discourse about the ducks. So let me know if you guys would be interested in something like that. Might, uh, might want to test that out. But if you want to find more of me, you can hit me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at mtouristsports. Uh, we're here on YouTube, Oregon Football Max Taurus. Do me a quick favor, smash the like button, smash the subscribe button, and share the Ducks Dish podcast. That's the greatest way you can support the show. Um, I'm looking to get uh, Sam Conan, our the UCLA publisher for Fan Nation, on for an episode this week. And uh, we'll see what the rest of the schedule is looking like. But uh, that'll do it for us here on the Ducks Dish podcast. We're going to go ahead and get out of here. But a big week for the Ducks as they get ready to face UCLA. And we'll catch you guys in the next episode of the Ducks Dish podcast.